This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We have a really fun and exciting parable today. So let's start off with a joke. There were once two accountants in a bank. And just as they were entering the bank and doing their business, a group of armed robbers enter the bank as well. And so all of the patrons are gathered together in one group so that no one can alert the authorities. The robbers go about their business robbing the bank and they tell everybody to empty their pockets, give up their jewelry, their wallets, all their watches, even the fake stuff that looks good. So everyone quickly starts to do this. And just as, the, just as the moment that that happens, one accountant jams something in to the hand of his business partner. The other accountant looks at this and says, what is this? And his partner replies, this is the $300 I owe you. <laughs> yes. So I think this joke illustrates kind of what's going on. It's a strange way to get rid of debt. And it's a strange parable where we have this manager who's forgiving debts that were owed to his wealthy master. It's somebody else's money. It's somebody else's wealth. And he's squandering it. And on the surface, it looks like it's for his own gain. So I wonder what you think of the manager. Whether he was dishonest or shrewd, it's almost like a, a Robin Hood type of situation, taking from the wealthy and giving it back to the poor, the indebted. We might find ourselves judging this manager just a little bit. It's no wonder that he was going to be fired. And yet in just a little while, we will pray the words, forgive our trespasses, or in other translations, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, or those who trespass against us. So maybe one way of understanding this parable is to look at all of the things around it. This is a parable in between two parables. The first, is, the first that happens before this is the prodigal son, and the one that follows is the rich man and Lazarus. So often there's a lot of framing in the Gospels. You see that over and over again. One story framed by two others and so on and so on. And so when we read parables like this, it's always helpful to read them in conversation with the things around it. So part of this is to realize that yes, Jesus is absolutely talking about money. God can, you cannot serve God and wealth. If you have a King James Version Bible at home, you may see God and mammon, which, is a, which was a, an ancient word and was used to describe wealth, but it was more than wealth. It was the idol of wealth. That's when your whole identity is wrapped up in being rich. So what we're talking about is God versus the idol of money. And Martin Luther called this the most common idol on earth because it's something that we can't really get away from. So when we look at the parable before this, the prodigal son, we see that there's a waste or a misuse 
of funds, of wealth. But then there's also unbelievable forgiveness. And in the parable after this, we have the rich man and Lazarus as a warning about serving wealth and idolizing wealth. So what about this story? What about this very strange and difficult parable? It takes place on Jesus's journey to, to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on the way to the holy city. And that's part of the larger frame that happens here. We have two parables on either side of this parable, but we also have two other stories that help us understand this one. Not too far in the distance, we know that Jerusalem is in the future. We know that the crucifixion is going to happen. And then on the other, on the other end, we have the Magnificat, the song, the song of Mary, which I think also gives us a good lens to look at this parable. So first, let's consider the Magnificat. This parable is a story of reversal or of leveling. It makes things more equitable, as so much does in Luke. And the Magnificat proclaims the words of Mary. She says, He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. There's something about this parable that makes the people who are dependent on wealth on the wealthy man more equitable. They are brought up, their debts are reduced, or maybe the manager gives up his share of things. What we see is it is a dishonest system. Really, today we might call it predatory lending. It's a broken system. And we see that God is breaking into the system just a little bit. The very act of using this wealth, this dishonest wealth, no matter how dishonestly it was gained, to enrich the lives of others establishes a new way of doing things. It helps to be part of this moment when the kingdom of God breaks into this dishonest system. You have no doubt heard preachers use a very overused image, and I'm going to use it again right now. And it's that scene from Les Miserables, and it's where Jean Valjean steals all of the silver from a bishop's house after he's released. And then he's brought back under, he's captured and brought back under charges of stealing to the bishop's house. And the bishop says, you know, this was a gift and you forgot the best part. And he hands him even more silver. And the bishop says, go and be an honest man with this. This dishonest event leads to a process of redemption and honesty. It's a total shift. And so the kingdom of God shines through this parable in the same way. It's breaking the system from the inside out, shifting things to a different kind of economy, one where God distributes and forgives more easily than we ever could. And on one hand, yes, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us. How can we be shrewd? How can we take dishonesty, how can we take the dishonesty of the world and transform it to glorify God? 
and help those in need. Because ultimately all of the wealth, all of our bank accounts, all of our credit and assets, insurance plans, they all belong to God. So how are you going to manage it? How do you share it? How do you receive sharing and help? How do you receive the giving from others? Do you serve wealth, this idol of mammon, or do you serve God? So with that in mind, let's change our lenses and think about the crucifixion and resurrection for a moment. It's the ultimate reversal in the Gospels and in history. Part of the difficulty of being human is trying and wanting to serve God, to live in the joy of the resurrection, and yet also be tied down to a world of systems that keep us from fully acting that out. Because I think if we're honest, in reality, we do serve both God and wealth. We do, we serve God, we strive to, but we also, we do serve wealth. It's hard to give money away when your rent bill goes up, for example. It's hard because it makes everything more expensive. And I'm sure you can think of plenty of times in your own life where it seems like finances are maybe just a little too important. Maybe they occupy such a huge place that it's hard to see anything else. And what happens when it does get really difficult? Because we all depend on this financial system. We all depend on the value of a dollar. Inflation does affect us. Gas prices affect us. Food shortages affect us. And really, we're all one financial crisis away from experiencing something unthinkable. What happens when somebody experiences true hunger or when they experience homelessness? Charity goes a long way to help them, but for many people, the only way to survive is to participate in a very dishonest and corrupt system of gaining money or gaining the help of someone else. So no matter what, we are often faced with less than ideal options all around us, whether we have money or whether we don't have it. And yet it is in this less ideal situation that even Christ found himself in, experiencing the very worst of our own human systems of wealth and power, betrayal, trials, physical harm, death, and I think that this parable is a reflection of that gospel story. The dishonest system of getting Jesus to the cross results in the grace breaking in to the world. That is how the gospel works. Everything is leveled. Christ takes the debts of all humanity and dispenses with them and in a way lowers the standard that we all have to fulfill because Christ has fulfilled it for us. We have to live and we have to eat and we have to buy food and pay mortgages and rent and pay for things. 
and order our lives around work and paychecks because we have no other system. We have no other system yet of doing economy in the world. And as much as everyone would like to give up everything, we realize that there is this trap of wealth, this mammon, and we simply can't get quite that far. I believe the gospel in this parable, which we hear as we're coming towards the end of the church year, we're almost to the end of the season after Pentecost, which is the season where we live out our faith in our Christian lives before we begin the whole cycle again in Advent. The gospel in this parable is a reminder that we need Christ's death and resurrection. It's a reminder of the need we have in our own lives for a great reversal, for a release. God is able to take a difficult world and inject a new reality into it. We need to remember that Jesus uses the very systems of dishonesty that were used to crucify him to save us. God's new thing is a total reversal. And we need for God to act in that reversed way. We need for God to be unfair and shrewd according to what we know and how we operate. We need for God to be totally unfair in God's giving of forgiveness. What we see as unfair is really just an outpouring of forgiveness and mercy and grace. Even to people we think deserve punishment. Grace is not fair because we all get it and we all need it, but because so often we don't deserve it, except through Christ. We receive grace upon grace by God's reversal and leveling of what we know to be true in this world. So how will you help to reverse the circumstances of your neighbors this week? Where will you see a reversal in your own life? What is God doing that creates a new system or a new place a new way of doing things. My hope is that for each of us, as we begin to conclude the church year and re-enter into this cycle of God's great story of redemption and love, that we see where Christ's love for us has been a reversal, a total reversal of what's normal. That we can see where the kingdom of God is truly present in our lives and how we might share that with others. Amen.